Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that tastes a piece of pop culture condenses what it's all about, and then extracts from it some real history. I guess we do to pop culture what winemakers do to grapes. And this time round, we're going to be talking about Pirates of the Caribbean. Incredibly successful film series based on the Disney ride and... It's something that I mentioned a few weeks back when I was talking about Stand and Deliver. I said, I've, I think I'm going to have to do one about pirates. And here we are doing it now. I'm deeply flattered, son, but my first and only love is the sea. If we're going to be talking about pirates, what exactly is coming up? Yes, of course, we're going to be talking about the golden age of piracy. But we're going to take you far further back than that. We're going to take you back more than 2,000 years to a completely different sea. We're going to be taking you to multiple continents and comparing and contrasting some of the surprising detail in the Pirates movies. And I'm also going to reveal to you what on earth Davy Jones's locker is. So all this and more if you come with me on this journey. It is my intention to commandeer one of these ships, pick up a crew and tour to raid, pillage, plunder, and otherwise pilfer my Weasley Black Guts out. Now, before we start, I'm going to say, I'm going to put it up front this time round. Please, please, if you can give us a review, if you can click subscribe, if you could share the love a little bit. Every Tuesday when these come out, I tweet from at Gemdaduchu. I put a little fun gif on it about that week's topic. So if you could retweet that on Twitter, that would be lovely. But if not, look, you know, post a link on Facebook. Just tell a friend, get them, grab their phone, get them to download it. Every person who I've spoken to who's given it a try has enjoyed it and downloaded more than one episode. So there we go. Right, let's get to the stuff that you're interested in. When it comes to the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, they are, as I've already said, based on a Disney ride. And there's a fun little background fact to it, because Walt Disney, whatever his faults, was definitely a visionary. And he had this very specific idea in mind. The famous story when he set up Disney Studios is originally there was no Mickey Mouse. There was a rabbit type character, but the pictures got damaged. And so he had to very quickly sketch out something else. So he came up with this rather simplified image. 
brand was born. And he tried to get funding and he got rejected by about a hundred different banks just saying, look, there's no money in this animation business. It's all, all risk and no reward. And then eventually the person, the bank manager who did give him the loan to get Walt Disney Studios started, well, that actual bank manager was basically retiring. So from his point of view, there was zero risk. I'm retiring. What can they do to me? They can't fire me. I'm about to leave anyway. So it was a bit of blind luck that has now created a multi-billion dollar global business. Look at all the money we've earned, Unc. Ah, that's what I like to see. I've talked on numerous occasions about the Avengers movies. It's worth remembering the very first one of those, 2008's Iron Man, that was made by Marvel Studios because Marvel was making them. And it was later that Disney ended up buying Marvel. Disney has, of course, bought Star Wars as well and owns all these other brands. They basically have now patented your childhood. However, back to Disney himself. So for the first few decades of his animation career, he went from doing very modest shorts, indeed the first basically animation with the soundtrack to it is Steamboat Willie starring Mickey Mouse. And one of the first animated full-length features was Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, which came out in the 1930s, for heaven's sakes. And it's still gorgeous animation to this day. Indeed, it's still really quite scary to this day. And at the Oscars that year, he won no actual Oscars for the movie, but there was a sort of honorary Oscar of one Oscar and seven little Oscars for the Seven Dwarves. It's lovely and charming. And again, Walt Disney himself is a complicated character and we, we're not going to spend any time discussing the man. But if we want to talk about his legacy and what his company has done, again, if you want to talk about corporate greed and blah, 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 it's all there. But let's be honest, guys, they deliver. I don't know if your favourite is 101 Dalmatians or The Lion King or personally for me, Beauty and the Beast and The Jungle Book. These are all amazing movies and what they've done with things like Star Wars is, yeah, they've, they've dropped the ball with something like The Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, but then the Mandalorian TV series is amazing. And yes, they've done very well with the Avengers movies. So yeah, quality has varied over the years, but there's no doubt that there are so many hits, so many solid gold pieces of pop culture. But Disney wanted more. He wanted to create an actual theme park. Now, prior to Disneyland, out on the west coast of America, in modern-day LA, Anaheim, that was the very first one. And it was kind of revolutionary because whereas theme parks and fun fairs had existed before and there were roller coasters, it was all about thrill rides, whereas he wanted to create experience rides. This is not Santa's workshop. It's just one section of a creative world where new attractions for Disneyland are conceived. And so the idea was that you, he wants to transport you to these magical places in his movies. However, not everything was from a movie, and he came up with the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. And if you've ever gone on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, there's a couple of little drops in it, but it's certainly not a roller coaster. It's a water flume ride past these various vignettes of pirates yo-ho-hoing. And it's a lot of fun. But the thing I loved is that he had a pirate next to a well. 
And he wanted that pirate to be standing next to the well, sort of waving his cutlass around and having a hooked hand. And at that stage in the 1960s, there just wasn't quite enough technology to do it right. Animatronics, again, he didn't invent them, but it was the first time in a theme park that animatronics were very heavily used to create these wonderful worlds, to transport you to a different place. But I knew about the whole pirate thing, and it therefore put a smile on my face that when I went to, and this is the other thing, each ride is subtly different around the world. So when I went to Disney World, Disneyland is the one in the West Coast in California, Disney World is the much bigger one in Florida, you know, which also has has the Epcot Center and various other whole entire places. But as you can see on this master plan, the theme park and all the other tourist facilities fill just one small area of our enormous Florida project. And the whole area encompasses 27,400 acres. That is 43 square miles, twice the size of the island of Manhattan. When I went on the Pirates ride in Florida, I noticed that that one built much later the pirate next to the well was standing there with a hooked hand and didn't have the hand on the well to which they ran the electronics through. And it, and it just thought, ah, uh, you know, Walt got his wishes even though he wasn't around to see it. Pirates of the Caribbean ride was not an animated story beforehand. It was not a, a TV series or movie. There had been various movies about pirates, of course, but nothing specifically Disney-esque, really, that was considered a big hit anyway. But in the very early 2000s, things like CGI had grown vastly. Disney was feeling flush with all its money from the 1990s, hit after hit. Like I said, Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, Pocahontas, and so on and so forth. Why not go for this slightly different direction and try and create movies based on the theme park rides. In 2021, it was meant to come out in 2020, there's the Jungle Trip ride, which I've been on multiple times, and that's now a rock movie that's obviously, like the Pirates of the Caribbean, really sort of extrapolated from the ride. We'll see if that's a big hit. If you're listening to this after it's come out, hey, was it a hit or not? Please tell me. They started filming Pirates of the Caribbean Curse of the Black Pearl, that's the full name of Pirates 1, if you like, in 2002, and it came out in 2003. And it was a huge hit. It was very reminiscent of something like Indiana Jones, in the sense that there was a sense of wonder, yes, but there was also a sense of humour to it, and there was genuinely thrilling moments. There's a wonderful sword fight in the blacksmiths. Reason you practice three hours a day is that you already found one and are otherwise incapable of wooing said strongest. You're not a eunuch, are you? I practice three hours a day so that when I meet a pirate, I can kill it. But it's, you know, it's part slapstick, part exciting action. And even though you've got Barbosa being the, the bad pirate, even he's got some funny lines as he walks into the moonlight and turns into a ghostly zombie type thing and he goes, you better believe in fairy tales, you're living in one. And so it brought to our attention Orlando Bloom and Kira Knightley, who, well, Orlando, man, did he have a great early 2000s because he had just basically come out of drama school when he got 
the the role of being a, a scrub, a, a basic grunt in Black Hawk Down. So that was, if you like, his, his first role in a pretty big movie, a Ridley Scott film, no less. And then, of course, he got to be Legolas in the three back-to-back -back Lord of the Rings movies. Then he gets to play a, a, a hero kind of second class, first class, you can debate about how much of it. I mean, he is the kind of dashing hero and you can argue that Captain Jack Sparrow, maybe he, he well, he, as they evolved, he definitely became more of a hero, but certainly in the first three, Orlando is one of the key heroes of the film. Plus he had another Ridley Scott movie, Kingdom of Heaven, but things kind of sort of ran out for him. Look, he's a good actor. He's not a great actor. The pretty boy image he wanted to move away from. He's done other interesting things. But to be honest, you know, he was the hottest thing on planet Earth for about five years, which is pretty good going for any actor or actress. Kira Knightley, too, you know, she's gone on to do some great things. She said in retrospect, there's just so much pressure on her. She'd been in so many big hit movies and she was having sort of mental health problems. So, you know, with fame comes these other problems as well. But then we come to Captain Jack. I'm Captain Jack Sparrow. Who was such a surprise. Indeed, when it was being filmed, there were concerns that clearly it was a riff on Keith Richards. If you don't know who he is, he's one of the Rolling Stones. And it was it was just wonderfully weird take on a pirate, but a kind of rum-sozzled bit of a rapscallion, a naughty boy. That's kind of what Keith Richards was. Why is the rum gone? You know, if there was an opportunity to potentially have a Rolling Stone as a pirate, why not? And indeed, as an in-joke, after three movies in a row, finally Captain Jack meets his dad, played in the cameo by Keith Richards, which is, of course, completely obvious and, and great. It's not just about living forever, Jackie. The trick is living with yourself. The first one was such a surprise, and it was such an unusual multi-layered pirate character that Johnny Depp, I haven't actually mentioned Johnny Depp yet, he plays Captain Jack Sparrow. Johnny Depp actually got nominated for an Oscar for the role, which for these kind of big budget action movies or adventure movies, that is very rare and a sign of what a great job he did to come up with a completely unique character. Johnny Depp didn't win the Oscar, but he was to go on to play Captain Jack Sparrow, for the original trilogy, which is kind of its own self-contained story. But then there was Pirates 4 and Pirates 5, with names at the end of it that you can't even remember, so don't worry about it. And indeed, there is a conversation now of a Pirates 6, and there's a debate about whether or not you're going to use Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp's had his own controversies in his private life, and he's been dropped from other projects as well, so... You know, whether we should or shouldn't use him, don't know. Maybe it's time for a fresh shot anyway. He's also going to be quite expensive, but he's the signature pirate of the Caribbean, if you see what I mean there. But the thing about Pirates of the Caribbean is, of course, there are some really fantastical stuff in it, but it's obviously riffing on pirates. And I want to start with this because almost... The first form of pop culture is the pirate story. 
As soon as I say pirate to you, I know what's in your mind. You're in the Age of Sail. There's a galley with cannons on the side of it. The pirates are wearing tricorn, that's three-pointed hats. Some have lost legs and have peg legs. Some have lost hands and arms and have hooks. Some have lost eyes and have eye patches. There is a black flag with a skull and crossbones on it. Somebody's got a parrot on their shoulder. There's treasure. There are maps. There are cutlasses. There's yo-ho-ho and a bottle of rum. And everyone kind of talks like that. And there's a whole bunch of reasons for this, but we can absolutely take this all back to the 1880s. Because in 1881 to 1882, there was a hugely popular pirate story serialized in British newspapers. It was called The Sea Cook Story for Boys. Catchy. So the writer of this story called Robert Louis Stevenson, decided to compile it all in a book and give it a much better name, Treasure Island. Now we're rolling, okay, ta-da! We now have a pop culture sensation on. And what's in that book? Well, it, it standardized from the very beginning the image of the pirate. There are tropical islands. There's the black spot. There are treasure maps. You've got Long John Silver, ridiculous name. He's lost a leg. He's got a parrot on his shoulder. In other words, it, it sort of spilled out of his head perfectly formed. So Robert Louis Stevenson, not quite the same as J.R.R. Tolkien, but both of them created an entire genre almost instantly. Now, in the case of Stevenson, he was riffing on some history. Tolkien was really kind of making it up as he went along, but it's heavily influenced by the Anglo-Saxons, etc. If you want to know more about Lord of the Rings, I've got an episode. It's one of the earlier ones of the new look condensed histories, but please have a listen to it. It's, it's great. So if you like, the cliche of pirates was created by Robert Louis Stevenson. Now, there really were pirates who wore tricorn hats and in the age of sail and gunpowder existed. I'll be coming on to those. But what I wanted to talk about is how pirates are weird. In the modern world, if you've got kids, or indeed when you were a kid, it is completely acceptable to dress up as a pirate. Again, with all the cliches of the golden age of piracy. And that's the weird thing. A five-year-old child is encouraged to dress as a dangerous, drunken lawbreaker from 300 years ago, the sort of person who would sell people into slavery, who would become violent when drunk, would kill members of their own crew at times. We're encouraging children to act like this? I was once talking, I've got kids, they're a bit, little bit older now, but I remember talking to some of their friends when the group of them were playing pirates, and I said to them, why are you playing a baddie? And this kid looked at me and went, I'm a good pirate. Indeed, there are loads of some of my favorite kids' books that I read to the kids. There's The Night Pirates, where these rough, tough little girl pirates allow this little boy called Tom to come along with them on an adventure against the big adult pirates. It's adorable. It's in no way historically accurate. Then my favorite, let's smash together two things that every eight-year-old or younger adores. There is literally a series 
of books called The Pirate Dinosaurs. Pirate Dinosaurs, yeah, absolutely. And of course, the big bad enemy pirate is of course a T-Rex as the kids go and, and fight him. But all of this is very bloodless. And this is the thing. I don't know what other criminal enterprise... We, we don't dress our kids up to look like 1930s American gangsters. Okay? We don't say to the kids, hey, who wants to have a spray-on back tattoo and look like the Yakuza from Japan? Or the Mongol hordes. It's so weird that we're absolutely fine that this violent, nasty bit of history in a very specific small part of pirate history is considered completely child-friendly. It makes no sense whatsoever. Also, who got who got to pick? Now, that's the other weird thing. So let's take it back. The reason why I made in passing comment in the stand and deliver episode, if you, again, if you haven't listened to that one, hey, 80s new romantic music explaining about highwaymen and robbery throughout the ages. And I made the point that pirates are basically bandits or robbers, it's just they do it on the water. And with that in mind, as soon as you've got the technology of relatively large ships, you've got stories of pirates. Piracy was a problem in ancient Greece times. I mean, all those islands, it was very easy to sort of like slip in and out and avoid authorities. The reason why the Viking era was so successful is because ships simply move faster than you can muster an army. So the, the Vikings, until they decided to come and invade, it was just hit and run. Their longships were very shallow, so they could sail up some rivers, attack a, a town and village. Nobody knew that they were coming. They arrived, they're extremely violent, they grab whatever they want, including people, and then they sail away again before any kind of military response or policing response can ever be mustered and got to that area. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Boats win. Boats in those days were like the motorbikes of today. And so in the Roman period, there was a particularly well-known area, the Cilician Pirates. Cilicia is now modern-day southern Turkey. Obviously, any of this story has to be on the coast. And we know that in 102 BC, they were starting to tackle the problem. So we know the problem had to be bad if in 102, if that was the first time piracy had ever happened, the Roman Empire's not going to respond, except it wasn't an empire in 102 but the Romans, let's just call them the Romans. And so by 68 BC, we know they haven't solved the problem because it's those, well, not literally the same pirates, it's clearly their children, but it's still pirates from Cilicia that land in a place called Ostia. Now, Ostia is perhaps not the best known place in the Italian peninsula, but it's on the East Coast. And actually it's a really important port that was attacked several times by foreign invaders over the millennia. And on this occasion, it was the pirates that landed in Ostia. Why is this a big deal if it's an important port? But, you know, where is it? Well, it's only 15 miles away from Rome. And they burnt it down and took everything they could and left. That is just before the time of Julius Caesar. So the Roman Republic is powerful. It's won three Punic Wars against the Carthaginian Empire in Northern Africa. It has power by now, and yet it was unable to protect one of its main ports, only half a day's march from Rome. Amazing. You know, so, so that shows you the, the damage and danger of piracy. Indeed, you've all heard, and I've just mentioned Julius Caesar, you've all heard of Julius Caesar, and we all know what a great general he was and how he basically became a dictator and all that stuff. But in his early days, he was captured by pirates. What I'm about to tell you is going to sound made up. It's true. Okay, don't believe me? Check. But he was caught by these pirates and the pirates recognized him as the son of somebody important. So they raised a ransom for him and he got angry at the pirates because he said, I'm worth more than that. <laughs> the arrogance of the man. Also, there were rumours, unsubstantiated and debated, that he might have, how can I put this politely, got to know those pirates rather well. He also was known for composing stoic poetry and reading it out to the pirates, and the pirates not particularly appreciating it, which made him angry. Because pirates are renowned for loving stoic poetry, obviously. And then when eventually the ransom was paid, Julius Caesar, as he left them, he said, I'm going to hunt you down and crucify you all. Don't forget, this is a couple of generations before the time of Jesus. This has no religious connotations. It was just a horrifically brutal punishment for criminals. And pirates were definitely criminals. And we don't know exactly what the pirates thought of this young man leaving and threatening them as he left. Probably it was something along the lines of, yeah, yeah, whatever. Then Julius Caesar 
went to the local governor and said, I've just been kidnapped by pirates and I've only just been released. What are you going to do about it? And the governor didn't want to get involved, basically. I mean, you can see how much trouble they caused. So Julius Caesar managed to get together his own little fleet. He managed to track down those pirates and true to his word, he crucified every last one of them. This is why I love history, because you couldn't make that up. If you just put that in a story without Julius Caesar or anything like that, you go, no way would all of that actually have happened. But look, the point is this. This is more than 2,000 years ago. This is in the Mediterranean. That's a long way away from the Caribbean. There, there is no gunpowder at this point. This is not the age of sail. They had galleys where there were sails on them, but there were also the rows of oars as well. So this is a completely different image of piracy. Indeed, there's a kind of running gag in the Asterix comics, which are set around the time of Julius Caesar, that there are these pirates that keep being beaten up by Asterix and Obelix, or Obelix. I get confused as to which way you're meant to pronounce it, but the point is they do recognise that there are genuinely pirates at this time, but we don't talk about those sorts of pirates. Then, let's tell you what, let's fast forward one and a half thousand years, shall we, to a guy called Oruj. He comes from modern-day Albania, but at that time it was part of the Ottoman Empire. Orage had some brothers, and they decided to become pirates. And they started plundering the eastern Mediterranean and then the southern Mediterranean, particularly along the North African coast. And they did really well. At one point, Orage got his arm severely injured, and he had it removed and he had a prosthetic silver arm instead. So he got the name Silver Arm. Take that, Goldfinger! Choose your next witticism carefully, Mr. Bond. It may be your last. Again, this is all sounding kind of piratey, but again, Mediterranean, not Caribbean. Also, these people would have spoken probably Ottoman Turkish rather than English, and nobody would go, aha, me hearties, or anything like that. However, Orage's other nickname was Barbarossa, which means Redbeard, which is a very piratey nickname. I mean, Silverarm, Redbeard, both of those grade A pirate stuff. This all really happened, by the way. However, Orage got unlucky and he was eventually killed. And then this is a really, really bizarre moment because his brother, Hyradin, took up the name of Barbarossa. So this Muslim Ottoman pirate of Barbarossa was actually two brothers. Now, Orage did well. Lots of plundering and started to take control, I mean, literally administrative control of some of North Africa. But his brother, Hyradin, he took it to a whole new level. For the next few decades, he, in essence, conquered most of North Africa. Why did the Ottoman Empire end up ruling places like Algiers and Tunisia? The answer is because it got taken over by these two brothers, they realized they didn't know how to run a thing. So they quickly turned around to the Ottoman court and went, um, of, co of course, we've captured all of this for you. So how about you send over some troops and run it? But, but you know, we're going to be like the counts of Tunisia and things like that. So this is an example of privateering. What does that mean? It's piracy, but you've picked a side. Pirates, nay, privateer on a sanctioned mission under the authority and protection of the crown. Pirates 
basically they'll grab anything they can. But if you start grabbing things that are the enemy of a certain country, then you can probably go back to the country and, or the, the nation, the power, whatever you want to call it, the empire, and you'll be given safe harbor. If you've picked a side, it means you're just in as much trouble as you would be anyway with the bad guys or the enemy, but you actually have some friendly faces around as well. This works so well. Hydrogen was so powerful, but let's just call him Barbarossa because that's the way he would have wanted to be remembered. He became so powerful. He basically was at the point where they just couldn't beat him in any kind of naval engagement, that the King of France at the time sent him a letter and offered him anything to become the Admiral of the French Navy. If you can't beat him, join him. He turned them down. He is a rare example of somebody who retired from piracy, and he ended up writing his book on naval tactics which throughout the 1500s was translated into multiple European languages because you needed to read this guy's book. Simple as that. There are elements there of piratiness, shall we say, but it is quite different. And you probably don't think necessarily of like Muslim pirates. The other thing is this started the, the Corsair pirates. As these areas became basically dens of piracy, it led to them reaching out to Italy, to Sicily, to Spain, Portugal, and parts of southern France on the coast, obviously, where they would just plunder, pillage, and also gather together slaves. It is estimated from the 1500s, and they weren't wiped out as a force until we're into the 1800s, more than a million Europeans were gathered up and sold into slavery, into markets in North Africa and on into the Ottoman Empire and maybe even further east as well. It's a pretty horrible story there, but, you know, an example of a very different type of pirate. Moving along, a few years later, we got Walter Raleigh. He's another example of a privateer, and he is a bit like the pirates in the sense that he genuinely was plundering Spanish ships. So, you know, the Spanish main, that's basically South America when they talk about the Spanish main. It's, it's where the Spanish powers were in the New World. But also, they genuinely did have treasure on board, like boxes of silver and gold being plundered from the Inca Empire and the Aztec Empire. And so he genuinely was grabbing cash. Now, why on earth was he doing this? You know, British Empire and all this kind of stuff. Because Britain didn't have an empire then. In fact, there was no such place as Britain. But Queen Elizabeth I, she basically needed to be a thorn in the side of Spain. She certainly couldn't afford an army. There was no way to sort of like fight them on mainland Europe. So we're pretty good at shipping, pretty good marines and, and seamen. So let's attack these ships. And basically it was an economic war. Spain complained don't often say this, but Spain absolutely had a point because basically people like Walter Raleigh would sail into London and basically be hailed a hero rather than as a pirate. Look, Percy, the return of Sir Walter, ooh, what a big ship I've got, Raleigh, is a matter of supreme indifference to me. So, yeah, that's a bit piratey, but again, different. We, we are sort of like in the Caribbean and into South America, but yeah, they would have dressed very differently. No tricorn hats here, more like those frills around the neck. In the third Pirates movie, very tiny spoiler, you get Chow Yun-Fat. He's an amazing Hong Kong action actor. If you haven't seen any of his movies, he does some great ones with John Woo from the 80s and 90s, things like Hard Boiled, The Killer. He's a great actor, he's an action actor, and he plays 
a Chinese pirate. This is absolutely accurate, and it reminds me of the great story of one of the most effective pirates in history, which was a woman called Ching Shi. And she married a guy called Zheng Yi. She comes from a very poor background. She marries this guy called Zheng Yi. He's a pirate. So they kind of go into the business together. And between 1800, roughly, and 1810, well, Zheng Yi is a husband, but he dies around about 1807. And she then takes it all over. And to give you an idea, by 1805, this joint enterprise is 400 ships strong with more than 40,000, between 40 and 60,000 people working for the Red Flag Fleet. That's what they were called. And in essence, they ruled chunks of southern China on the coast and even sort of like little pits of Vietnam, which has got lots of these inlets. And so, yeah, she was a de facto leader. Again, central authorities, a little bit like Barbarossa, only this time around they went, look, can you possibly stop this? And so she retired, basically, given a full pension, given money. She ended up running a gambling house and having a second husband as well. So she's an example that shows you anything the guys can do, the girls can do better. And also, this is a very long way away from the Caribbean. I'm going to sort of finish up here with some of the more piratey stuff, and I'm going to explode a few myths, okay? So, Olivier Levasseur, also known as La Beuse, which is the mouth, there is the famous La Beuse cryptogram from 1690. Now, why do I mention this? Because this is the closest we got to a treasure map. There are a few treasure mappy type things. X never marks the spot. We do not follow maps to buried treasure, and X never, ever marks the spot. But I'm going to tell you, if you ever want to sit down and watch a documentary about trying to find pirate treasure, I'm going to tell you a fact. Of all the hundreds of pirates over these thousands of years, precisely zero pirate treasure has ever been dug up. Because, let's face it, as I mentioned it, Walter Raleigh was genuinely raiding treasure ships, but most of these people were just raiding merchant ships. They were grabbing rolls of fabric, piles of dates, all these kind of sort of like things that would just be normally shipped. The amount of treasure ships that were actually ever existed in history is virtually nil. And of course, once this stuff was grabbed, it was sold on the black market and the, the money was dispersed amongst the crew. This is why you might want to be in a pirate crew. You got a sort of fair share of what was what you actually worked hard to do. And they were fairly meritocratic. There was actually a debate. Do we attack that ship? And if it looked like it was too hard, the answer is no, we'll wait for the next one to come along. So pirate life was actually easier than being in something like the Royal Navy, for example. You could also make more money. Of course, if they catch you, you will be hanged. Simple as that. It was a high-risk, high-reward kind of job. But because of that, nobody's found any buried treasure because it was largely drunk away, or, you know, wine, women, and repairs of the ship. So, whereas... Could there be some pirate treasure out there? Yes, but a lot of these things, like the Labou's cryptogram, quite often they were created when the pirate was captured and they're saying, oh, you know, if I write down how to find it, but I'll do it in a tricky way, so you need to keep me alive and it stops me from being hanged. I think you can work out the lying through their teeth to try and stay alive. And so, yeah, that's why nobody's found any, even though millions of dollars have been spent on trying to find this stuff. And then I figure, yes, come on, let's finish off with a famous one. We've had Redbeard. Let's have Blackbeard. I'll be right on it to welcome you aboard our well-renowned vessel of infamy, Queen Heads Revenge. Blackbeard. Better known as Edward Teach, 
probably from Bristol. The golden age of piracy was in the very late 1600s into the very early 1700s because basically Edward Teach was probably the last of the notorious pirates and he was only doing his pirating from 1716 to 1718. That's, you know, it's not long at all, really. And um, what happened to him? Well, he got surrounded by the Royal Navy and some Marines and got shot and stabbed. But what's interesting is he was an example of that quintessential pirate. He was violent when he needed to be, but actually there were many occasions where he would put burning ropes in his in his beard and he would like look fierce and scary. And so if he appears on the ship and also with his flag as well flying, people would see it and just basically give up and say, here you go, here's your stuff. But almost all the famous pirates have a bloody end. They're either captured and hanged or they die in battle like Edward Teach. So if you like, they were the least successful pirates because I've given you examples of ones that managed to retire on a huge pile of cash and be well rewarded. And so these other people were, were just genuinely dangerous individuals. Today, they would be in a gang and we would avoid them like the plague rather than dress our children up like them. So there we go. That's how Pirates of the Caribbean gets us into the topic of pirates, but doesn't really take us all the way there. Although there are some interesting little bits there. So I'm just going to finish off with Davy Jones's locker, because I said I would do that at the beginning. So the first time it's actually mentioned is in a book in 1726 by Daniel Defoe, and it literally means the bottom of the sea. But why Davy Jones? Well, the theory is this. There are multiple theories, but it seems to me the most realistic one is, you know, seamen generally in the Royal Navy and things like that were obviously from England and Wales to begin with, later on Scotland. And so there were quite a lot of Welshmen on these ships. And so it's kind of a derivation of St. David, who is the patron saint of Wales, and an Anglicization of Jonah's name. So if you like, Davy Jones is St. David and Jonah, as in Jonah and the whale. So a nautical connection there. So it's just a name to talk about the bottom of the sea. And the first reference to it was 1726 by Daniel Defoe. And it seems to be used more and more and more. So whether Edward Teach would have used it, Blackbeard, a decade earlier, unknown is a simple answer. But it was not necessarily common conversation amongst pirates. That's something you've seen in a movie. With that, I hope you enjoyed this one and hopefully I'll speak to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.